You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. The sound of the voice on the other end of a 911 call is almost always delivered frantically. The needs of the caller on the other end of a 911 call are ones that need to be met immediately. The services sent to a caller during a 911 call are always delivered efficiently. The stories, perspectives, and details created by these calls over more than 20 years are life lessons and legacies for everyone involved, including me. The records are archived for all time, like this podcast, digitally. I am a 911 dispatcher. My name is Lisa. This is Digitally Dispatched. The calendar's about to roll from the year we want to forget, 2020, to 2021, where everything changes and all is new, right? The thing that people have to remember is that the things that ail us, namely the COVID-19 virus, along with many other things, don't keep a calendar on them. They don't instantly change because a month becomes January. We will continue on, and that's why it's more important than ever to get educated about it, to continue our fight, and to never give up. This episode of the Digitally Dispatch podcast allows us to do just that. Tonight, we'll visit with all the perspectives of COVID, those who haven't had it, those who have had it, those who have been impacted by it, and those who are leading the charge to keep us safe. You are about to be educated. You are about to learn. You are being digitally dispatched. I'm Lisa Moore, your host. And I'm Mike Wilkerson, the pop culture movie review guy. I'm Christy Giuseppe, a guest host from WhatCopsWatch.com. And tonight also joining us is a special guest, Dr. Manu Patri, who is the medical director, infectious disease doctor at one of our local hospitals here in Lake St. Louis. Thanks for joining us, doctor. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me. We appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for taking your time to come out, Doctor. Really appreciate your efforts. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks. (laughs) Lisa, I'm so glad we could have everybody centered around the table tonight, uh, even virtually with the doctor. But uh, the reason we're doing this podcast is really straightforward. It is. Mike and I were talking after one of our last sessions when we were capturing another one of my podcasts, and we started talking about COVID and how it has impacted people and what people need to know. And we just got on this huge topic and said, you know what, let's pull some people together and see if we can't help educate others out there who haven't had it or what they do when they find out they've got it. And for for those of you that are curious, what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to explain how we have been able to begin the discussions with both our families and those that are around us. But more importantly, we're going to give you the stories of how all of those discussions took place. And then we're going to get the coup de gras, the cherry on top of the Sunday, where the doctor tells us everything's going to be fine is going to change on January 1st. Right, Doc? I think we're putting the doctor on the spot there. I may have to change my name uh, after I say that statement. Right. right. Uh, the, again, the best part is that we're going to be sharing a lot of perspective today, and I cannot wait to get to it. The discussion of COVID is more vital than ever, and it's because COVID instantly divides a room into not just two different sides, but into a whole bunch of different sides. And so talking about all of those things and those stories is what's going to enable us to get through all of this. Absolutely. It's a hot topic that it's going to be talked about for years to come. Mm -hmm. 
um, because it's going to continue to impact us. But like anything that people fear uh, Mm -hmm. the most is the unknown. And as the unknown becomes known, I think that we'll continue to continue to progress and continue to make ground on it just as we make some ground more of the unknown pops up you yeah know, right, right now i'm reading i'm seeing these things about different strains coming out and you know the, another strain coming over and there's a hundred questions that go along with every new thing that pops up how's the the vaccine going to impact that you know how are we going to adapt how are we going to change oh my gosh we you know we're just trying to get our arms around this first problem how are we going to move forward? I think there's another piece to remember, too. I can remember not too long ago, it's been probably two decades, but everyone can remember when the words HIV oh, goodness. Yeah. shook every room that you walked into where you to mention it. In fact, most didn't mention it at all. Right. Because they were afraid. Right. They and fear the unknown. The, the unknown piece of that was really broken when Magic Johnson was diagnosed as HIV positive. Mm-hmm slash sliding into will have AIDS. And suddenly it became a a, a warmer discussion that could be had without instantly wondering, am I going to be looked at funny if we start talking about this? Right. And And communication is so key in in everything. That's why I'm really glad we're doing this tonight with both of you as well as our doctor, because there are so many questions that that people have that don't know how to ask or really don't know what to do you know, making a plan or what can you do for somebody in your family who has it that doesn't live with you and and whether or not you can go visit them when they're in a nursing home or a hospital. There are so many things that people probably don't know how to ask the questions or Mm -hmm. who to ask. So I'm hoping that we can educate and give them some tools that they can use moving forward. Yeah. And and prior to that, you know, Mike brought up the kind of the historical, you know, let's go back to HIV. Let's go back to these other things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I might throw this over to the doctor too. You know, it seemed like for a period of time there, we came through something new every year. We had the bird flu and the swine flu, and right. we had these things come SARS. Because we had one of these come up every year, and it didn't have an impact like COVID did, certainly. Right. Did we kind of become numb to that, not really pay attention to it? Now, I'm sure as an infectious disease doctor, you always paid attention to it, right, doctor? Those worst-case scenarios that you hope never occur, but mm-hmm. you know it will occur. Compare and contrast the swine flu, the bird flu, and kind of the reaction of people and maybe the reaction of the medical community, to me, and this is just a layperson, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. Oh, my gosh, you know, we heard about it. I remember in the police department we'd get a couple calls of downed blue jays and people would freak out Mm -hmm. and we would have, was it conservation would come out and they would test those birds and someone would come back with bird flu and it would scare people for a little bit, Mm -hmm. but nothing like what we've seen this year. How was it in the medical field and among uh, medical professionals, doctor? It is an interesting observation because, you know, I went through the time of HIV, SARS, COVID-1, and fellowship during that time. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, uh, Chris, about, you know, the avian flu. And the thing I see that's substantially different this time is how the information was projected. Mm-hmm. So we had, like with HIV, the problem of where fear component came from, as you mentioned, Mike, there was so much fear. You couldn't, you'd be afraid to touch another person. Right. And there was a lot of politics that surrounded that. Mm-hmm. And that is actually what inhibited a lot of education, a lot of, you know, kind of forward thinking in the beginning until we started realizing, hey, anybody, this is something that we're going to have to deal with, but this isn't going to be the end of us. 
Mm-hmm. And when you can relate, as you mentioned about Magic Johnson, it hits home a lot more. People are like, okay, this is somebody I know. Right. And it mm-hmm. didn't end his life. He mm-hmm. continued to move on. Maybe this is something we do together. What I've noticed with this virus that's different, however, is the way that I think that this occurred, whenever you want to look back at how we could do something better, mm-hmm. it's about how our leaders project the information. I think, unfortunately, this became politicized. And, right. you know, everybody on this on this podcast, this isn't about politics, correct? This right. is about people. Right. This is my neighbor, my brother, my sister. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually matter what side of what party you belong to. And somehow it became that. And that actually was a detriment because there were stigmas attached to one side versus another side, as opposed to thinking this more like a war. This is us versus them. You know, we are right. at war with the virus, not with us, ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, really slowed things down in the sense of trying to get the word out correctly, of trying to educate people the right way. And the information, and I'm sure you guys see this too, right? Never, mm-hmm. I probably in that history of ever has it been harder to actually discern the truth. You hear multiple outlets saying different things. What is true? And people, they go to like-minded people. They find a group where they can relate to. Mm -hmm. And that information that they obtain is information they relate to, but it may not be factual. It's just the information that they are told because they have people in their group that they trust. And so that has been really, really a challenge because when SARS-CoV-1 came out, it was a huge deal in the scientific community because Mm -hmm. of how quickly it spread, Mm -hmm. how quickly it could kill, and how many different areas it attacked in such a fast manner. And that was the same thing even, you know, I'm sure, Chris, uh, with Ebola, Mm -hmm. right? Like when we Mm -hmm. had these little scares, you know, we had that case and that hit the United States. It hit us in a little bit of a different way. But not in a way that I felt that we were a divided community. It was definitely a fear component, which understandably, but it wasn't something like, oh, it's politics kind of right. issue. Right. Right. Um, how so, do I avoid it? Yeah, something about Ebola that I want to make sure we emphasize also is that Ebola, with Ebola came the devastation factor, i.e. Yeah. it is so virulent yeah. that it usually and, extinguishes itself before it can latch on to a large and it, population. It, see, and, and Ebola hits home with me because I remember when I was in college, I, in science class, we had to study, we had a book that we had to read, it was called The Hot Zone, and yeah. it was... It was about Ebola and yeah. the Marburg virus yeah. and the real yeah. story. And if you read that book, you would be terrified Correct. of Ebola. <laughs> right. Because people, yeah. I don't think, realize, and it's the education factor, how deadly that is. Right. right. I, again, I kind of I kind of hand it to the movie, which I don't usually. Usually I, I poop I all over movies because they don't educate us appropriately. But right. one of the things I do give to Outbreak mm-hmm. with Dustin Hoffman is right. that that's one of the things they emphasize is that this is such a killer yeah. That it usually kills everybody before they can then get somewhere else. Well, right. and it's a it's a bloodborne pathogen. Right. But in the real book, it became a airborne right. pathogen or an airborne virus. Right. Among primates, but as it mutated, this is what the book said anyway. As it mutated, it was merely cold-like symptoms in humans, so it wasn't deadly. But 
how close did we dodge a bullet yeah with yeah. that yeah it's true anyway um and like well, you said doctor too the truth you know speaking about the truth me and lisa you know, been in law enforcement for so, so, so many years, and we <laughs> yes. always kind of find that the truth, most of the time, it comes down in the middle. Yep. So, yeah. you know, we've always said, I know up the part when we've talked about COVID, mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world, but it's not a joke. Right. Well, and the rules keep changing, too. When we have somebody that is tested positive at work or they've been with somebody who's positive, do they quarantine? How long do they quarantine for? And, yeah. you know, what's the difference between the two? And like you were saying, Doc, I don't know it's it's almost who do you trust you know where yep. where do i look for the right answers for the actual truth uh, everybody goes to the internet i know i did yep. but i still am not real sure or real trusting with who to believe and i think that we're going to get into you know further podcasts mm-hmm. we're going to talk about you know impact on different professions and so forth sure. but i can tell you just a little bit of taste for that law enforcement when this came out i'm and you can tell us how it was in the medical community doctor but when it came out in law enforcement we had the rules were changing every four hours or so because we they just didn't know what we were dealing with Mm -hmm. so the procedures the policies the what's exposure what's not exposure how do we get police officers out there you know to make contact and not spread it around you know how does it work does it and we had all these rules regulations procedures and like i said in administration it was so hectic because they changed every four hours or so. It was just, it was terrible. And that's exactly my frustration too. I mean, this was a bit different than some of the other things. You know, we we didn't know everything about avian flu, but even with it becoming such a, you know, like a big deal, there was more of a unified approach. Mm -hmm. This time it was not, you know, you heard one person from one part of the government say one thing, then you heard the CDC say something different, right. Right. you heard the CDC take it back. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really came across as if no one knew what was going on right. Right. and well, didn't and know what we were doing. And oh. so that's where our frustration was, like, just in the general community, because obviously we'll talk more about it, but <laughs> there are certain things that we know about this. This is a respiratory virus. This isn't the first respiratory virus we've ever encountered. Influenza is a respiratory virus. Mm-hmm. You know, we it's not an unknown in those certain circumstances. Now, the behavior is, is definitely different, but there are certain basic things of this organism that when, as you mentioned in law enforcement, you guys are the face. If mm-hmm. people are coming to you for questions mm-hmm. and you don't have those questions because every time it changes, that comes off very frustrating. And yeah, as you mentioned, does. Lisa, then who do you trust? Right. And that was where the, the frustrating thing for us was. There's a group of us, there's a lot of people that have been trying to unify where the information we want to use is only based on the science of it that's there. The scientific research that's present, what the studies have done, talking to colleagues, but trying to get the fear component out. Because as you know, and you guys see this too, fear is a powerful driver, but fear can make you do the wrong thing. Absolutely. Um, it goes. You're going with your instinct, but you're not going with the rational decision of what you need to do. Right. And so that's how this this thing started. So I can understand why people are just so sick of it. Yeah. You know, they're told they can do one thing now. They can't, told they can't do it, and it's not a unified voice. What is someone supposed to do? And yeah. that's where it gets incredibly frustrating. It rose to a level, doctor, where the swine flu, the bird flu, it never rose to the level where. We had to have discussions about what's constitutional, what's not constitutional as far yes. as enforcement goes. I mean, right. because right off the bat, we were asked, you know, we were put in a position and asked questions. Well, we're going to go quarantine. 
what is law enforcement going to do? And it was like, we're not going to do anything. We're not, it's, it's not a law. It's not against the law. It's not, you know, when you start talking about, hey, are you going to arrest people? Are you going to write tickets? Are you, you know, and then we're really getting into that, well, wait a minute, what's legal, what's not legal, so on and so forth. Yeah. So we had to walk through all those procedures and basically in the end said, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to go out and arrest people because they're not following a quarantine. You need to go through the judicial process. If a judge says, hey, you're in contempt of court, that's a different story. But all those things were never breached with all these other viruses, which seemed appropriate. I mean, it was handled mm-hmm. without that. This thing just got way out of control. It did. Way out of yeah. control. So the social part of this is what I think really messed things up. And you can see this is why right now it's rampant. It's happening across the world. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for an educated country, one right. of the most powerful country in the world, right. to have the highest amount of infectivity rate, it's it's a bit embarrassing. Yeah. It's right. embarrassing, but it's also a reflection. I don't think we did our job to help the public. People should have put politics aside, relied on the science, and relied on how do we save lives. That's right. the bottom line. Right. One, one of the things that you bring up that we really do need to touch on, and I think everybody needs a good solid dose of, is embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Because with yeah. embarrassment comes the need to be educated. Right. No matter how old you are, no matter what the topic is, whether it be dispatching inside of a a law enforcement agency, whether it be guiding a law enforcement agency, whether it be the the kick-ass doctor at the infectious (laughs) disease ward at the hospital down the street, or a dude that makes podcasts, the one thing that's going to fix all of your embarrassments is getting educated, learn. Yeah, ask questions. And, and that's what we're here to do. Let, let's scoot on to our next segment here because I, I, I can't wait for this. This is, this is what I have been pining for all week <laughs> since we started talking about doing this podcast because I love and have always loved doing podcasts because it's the ability and the opportunity to collect perspective. It allows everybody that's listening to our show to step into our lives and know and learn more. So we're going to do that tonight. The first person that we're going to talk to tonight is someone that hasn't been impacted by COVID at all. Wait, what? Yeah, (laughs) there isn't one. No. There is not a person somehow that has not somehow been impacted by COVID as we record this now towards the end of 2020. Somehow, whether it's been a workplace, whether it's your actual family, whether it's just somebody that you know, somehow everybody now has been impacted by COVID. And so I don't have somebody to bring on and go, hey, you've been living in your bubble and aren't touched at all by this. Wow, that's cool. There is (laughs) no such thing. No. And so I I don't have anybody that I can bring on for that perspective. However, what we can bring on are the four perspectives that we have in the room. I'm going to start. My name is Mike. I am a now 50-year-old man that is always on the cusp of something to learn about. So this is all great for me. I love it. But the vast majority of people, especially those my age and older, they don't dig learning new things. And so COVID Some is, of us do. Is, is, <laughs> COVID is an incredibly hard experience for a lot of people right now. Mm-hmm. Sharing the stories that we have is one of my first loves here. My story is pretty straightforward. I am a former sign language interpreter for the deaf. I transitioned into tech about 25 years ago. From tech, I transitioned into podcasting and storytelling, and that's what I do now. I am a tech storyteller. 
I go and find people that have interesting perspectives, like you, Lisa, a police dispatcher, like Chris, the chief of a local law enforcement agency, and of course, Dr. Manu here, who is helping us learn more about infectious diseases. (laughs) And I capture those stories and share them with people. Mm -hmm. Now, at home, I have a wife. She's deaf. She turned 50 yesterday. I have a daughter at home who is autistic, who one of her classmates was discovered to be COVID positive two weeks ago Thursday. That instantly means that my autistic daughter, who is 17, needs to be quarantined for 14 days. Now, for those of you that have never dealt with autism, it's a spectrum. So if you've ever met somebody or interacted with somebody that has autism, it's not going to be exactly the same as interacting with that person. Mm-hmm. It's just like anything else. It's a spectrum. It's a, it's a it's it's a series of things that are this direction and a series of things that are that direction. And telling someone like my daughter who has autism that she's going to be sitting at home doing nothing <laughs> because she can't is not the best opportunity for her growth. Mm-hmm. But it's something that we had to deal with. And so I definitely am going to share that story and more as we continue talking tonight. It didn't impact my wife and I because we we sat and waited for three, four days. No symptoms from my daughter, no symptoms from either of us. And so we've continued on. My daughter's time in the clink <laughs> is done in two days, and we're all going to rejoice that nobody inside the house is COVID positive. But that's my story. What is it that we did that is going to impact someone else's life undoubtedly, mm-hmm. by doing the same things that we did. And that's what sharing these stories is going to tell us tonight. And how, and how does that shape your perspective? Right, right. Lisa, why don't you tell us about you and as a dispatcher in law enforcement, how have you been impacted? <laughs> well, and my story is that I've been a dispatcher for 20 years, and I am now jumping into my new passion of podcasting, and I absolutely love it, and I love working with Mike. But when it comes to COVID, I haven't been impacted myself. I fortunately have tested negative with the one time that I had to go get tested, but it's impacted my work because we've had a couple of my fellow dispatchers who tested positive. So we had to figure out when we had contact with them and how much contact we had and whether or not we needed to be tested. And they had to go out and quarantine, obviously. And then we had to scramble to cover where the hole was made by them not being there. That impacted me at work at home. Fortunately, I live with two roommates and the three of us have been very fortunate to stay healthy. However, one of my roommate's grandmothers just passed because of COVID, she had no underlying other than the fact that she was 92 years old. She really didn't have a whole lot of medical issues. And she's in one of those homes where COVID just went through it and took out a lot of people. And unfortunately, she was one of them. And then, of course, I have friends who have been impacted by their family members and their loved ones, too. So I've heard about it all the way around. Fortunately, if I could knock on wood right now, I would. I stay healthy and I don't I won't have to miss any time at work or have to try and figure out how to quarantine from my roommates. And absolutely. And with that, too, Lisa, Lisa's in a job where you can't shut down. Right. No, it's, and it's just like seven. it's just like the hospital. You can't shut down. You have to staff it. Mm-hmm. You have to be there. So there's a sense of duty, you know, and it's rough. You know, with me, I always tried to center myself because it's a balancing act. Right. COVID came out. And like I said, this wasn't like uh, we've dealt with the bird flu and the swine flu and the other things. And, you know, and but this was this was different. All of a sudden it was national news. We had briefings every day. 
mm-hmm. about this, and these rules kept changing and so on and so forth. And we would have, when the doctor talked about it being politicized, we would have the extreme ends of the politics come to us. You know, I mean, I would have one end that thought it was fake, it was not there. And then I would have another end that thought they were going to die today. I mean, that everybody's going to die. It's true. And when we dealt with that through law enforcement, like I said, we had to balance it. Just like when I had talks with, you know, the health department and other entities and that. And, you know, we would say, hey, it's important. It's important to keep people healthy. But people's constitutional rights are important, too. So, I mean, going out and taking people's freedoms away, we don't take that lightly. We have to be balanced, and we kind of got to take a middle-of-the-road approach, a sensible approach, a reasonable approach, and say Mm -hmm. it's not the end of the world, but it's not a joke. And at least it it was hard, wasn't it? It is, And, and it has been because in the beginning especially, we would get calls going, well, get the police over here right now. They're having a garage sale. You can't do that. You can't mm-hmm. be have a garage sale and still be six feet away from other people. Mm-hmm. And I'd ex- have to explain to them that we can't take away the right to do that. They know the risks mm-hmm. that are out there, and it's it's up to the individual person whether or not they want to protect themselves or how they want to protect themselves. Right. And then, you know, other people who would go into businesses before they mandated wearing masks at most of the businesses, mm-hmm. you know, I'd have people call in all the time saying, I just want to go in and get my, you know, a Subway sandwich, mm-hmm. but the people inside aren't wearing masks. Right. And okay, the speed well, of communication these don't days go in. <laughs> has everything complicated you know i mean it it complicates this type of situation Mm -hmm. the speed of communications i can get that on social media and i can show a ton of people a picture of this subway where people oh my gosh everybody's going to die so everybody that's really afraid of it they're going to protest this way and everybody that thinks it's a joke they're going to protest this way right and then we get caught in the middle us and the hospital is that about accurate doctor did you guys have any of that yeah we had we had quite a bit chief COVID has impacted you at home, has it? Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's impacted us at home. I've seen the impact within the department. But personally, my story was people's perspectives are formed by their experiences, right? Correct. So, like I said, for me trying to stay centered and balanced, it's not a it's not a joke, but it's not the end of the world. My experience was this. I had an adult stepdaughter that contracted it. Actually, she didn't even know that she had it. She's uh, She has asthma. Mm-hmm. She's got allergies, and every year she uh, contracts some bronchitis or bronchitis-type symptoms. So she goes to the doctor, and she has to get some steroids. And they said, we're not going to give you the steroids this year. We're not going to give you the steroids unless you go get COVID tested. Okay. Fine, I'll get COVID tested. She had these bronchitis symptoms. She comes back positive. You know, my wife calls me and says, you know, and I'm driving, like, it was, like, right after lunch, and I'm driving back to the station. She said, hey. She's positive. Yeah. Okay. Now, so I go back home. We go get tested, and we both come back. Three days later, it was like it, we got tested on a Saturday. Monday, we got the test back. We were negative. Mm-hmm. I spiked a fever, a low fever, Sunday. So I went back to the place I got tested and said, hey, I know my test this morning came back negative. I got a fever. I got some body aches. I got this. And I got a person in the house that's positive. And they said, the test's got to be wrong. You need to come back. I went back. They retested me, and I came back. Positive. positive. My wife came back to negative twice. She mm-hmm. waited another three or four days. She said, I don't know how I don't have it. She had no symptoms. <laughs> she went back, she tested, and she came back negative again. And then just recently she gave blood, come to find out she's got the antibodies. So she did have it. 
So the two mm-hmm. tests came back negative. And that was that was some of the things that we struggled through is, are the tests accurate? When they take it? When do they come back? Yeah. I didn't have real symptoms those first couple of days. Mm-hmm. I had some. They were very, very light. But until I spiked the fever after that is when I came back positive. But when you talk about perspective and experience, my experience was my symptoms were very mild. mild. I can tell you that having it, I was like, well, this isn't really a big deal. I mean, I had a low-grade fever. I never had respiratory. I had like a head cold. I had like kind of a pain up the back of my neck and in my head, headache a little bit. One day I felt pretty bad. It was that one day. The other day, the fever kind of spiked up. It never got over 100.8, mm-hmm. and it subsided with just Tylenol. So back in 2005, however, I had influenza B, and that was terrible. I mean, if I had to compare the two, I would rather have COVID, my experience, <laughs> right. than influenza B. Sure. Because influenza B was really, really bad. However, like I said, keeping in perspective, we had a relative that ended up in the hospital, almost didn't make it, and... Luckily, the medical professionals got them through. Mm-hmm. You know, I still try to center myself. I, I mean, I, I could really lean toward, hey, this isn't a big deal. Why are we doing all this? I had it. I got through it. My wife didn't even have any symptoms. My stepdaughter, who had it, who had asthma, got through it, never mm-hmm. went to the hospital or anything like that. But some of the things that I learned through that, and that's where I, where I really want to throw it over to the doctor here, is my stepdaughter with asthma... We got in front of that right away. She got the steroids for the bronchitis. We got, we made sure that we got the abuterol for the nebulizer, make sure we'd started breathing treatments. We made sure we did all these things in advance. And as soon as, as something started going south, right away we got on the phone with the mm-hmm. doctors or whatnot. She got on the phone with the doctors. She had a little bit of uh, pneumonia that did pop up, but they got her on uh, antibiotics right away. And in mm-hmm. 24 hours, she was fine. She, you know, within 10 12, I don't know, 12 days, a couple days after she got off quarantine, she was back working out and she was fine. Oh, that's good. So that was my experience. But it's good that you were able to stay in front of it with her because she was a higher risk. Having right. And we were, from we were asthma. worried and concerned. Yeah. Right. And that's where my supervisor that I work for, she was concerned for me because I'm prone to pneumonia. Right. So when one of my coworkers came down with right. being positive, right. you know, and I had heaviness in my chest right. i went to get tested as well and i did have pneumonia but i didn't right. have COVID. so i dodged a bullet but i took a day off just to rest to right. to feel better i think there's something else that comes to the forefront here too if we again again go back to that magic johnson sample well uh-huh. not only did the news cycle work completely different back then mm-hmm. not only was there no social media but what also happens is that when you get the story There isn't where you're just standing in a room next to somebody and now you're standing six feet from them and, hey, look, I have HIV too. That's the other mechanism here that is completely different Mm -hmm. because we kind of had put the how you get HIV in a box. Right. And if you avoided these things, well, then you're fine. Right. Well, Chris's story is a perfect sample of Mm -hmm. why nothing is routine. Right. And when you remove routine from education and or just an experience, Mm -hmm. it all goes out the window. It does. And that's what we've been experiencing, which, doctor, I'm assuming that's a lot of the experience that you guys have when people are coming into your department. Yeah. And exactly as Chris mentioned, it is about perspective. You know, my perspective is is obviously a little bit different because I see these uh, the sicker, the sicker of the Mm -hmm. sick 
you know, coming in. And the thing that I think is so deceptive of this virus is that your stepdaughter is young and overall very healthy. Right, right. So that population, thankfully, is much more protected in, in, in certain ways. The danger is is the risk for spread to others. Right. And that's where we see why this is so dangerous. That I I had several doctors that called me who who acquired COVID mm-hmm. and majority had sort of your same experience, Chris, of mild symptoms, not that bad, has had have had respiratory illnesses that were worse than this. Right. But I also had the healthy nurse practitioner who had a stroke due right, to COVID. Right. And I had the heart oh attack. Right. And I get the people that the, the nephew who didn't think it was a big deal came over to for Thanksgiving, and now the father, mother, and sister are dead. Right. Um, oh, no. And right. that's the experience that we see. And I think that that's why this has been such a dangerous virus. Yeah. It, can, it gives the appearance, and this is why it can spread so easily. It can come off. What we recommend usually is if you were exposed to somebody, you go back 48 hours before. If a person turned positive or their onset of symptoms was like a Monday, Mm -hmm. you go back 48 hours before then to where potential exposures could have been. Mm -hmm. This virus can kind of be silent in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so it can spread to many people without having symptoms. And then subsequently you can have symptoms afterwards. So you're infectivity risk is actually probably two days before you actually start to have symptoms. So can you think about the dangerous component of this, you know, going out and about, not thinking you're ill, then seeing other people unmasked Mm -hmm. and spreading this. And this is where those super spreader, you hear those super spreader accounts occurring, that someone may not have been symptomatic at the time of whatever the event was, and then two days later it occurs. Unfortunately, there have been times where I was the last person that a patient sees before they die. And right. that, that's an incredibly haunting. Right. You know? I can you imagine. Know, we're, we're social people. You know, yep. my true belief is the only way we can do this is together. Yep. And when you take out that social structure, the isolation component is devastating, which mm-hmm. is also why when you were commenting, Chris, about the personal rights, this isn't about personal rights. This is yeah. about public safety. This is yeah. about... We are in this together. It's a war. It right. is a war. And it should not be us fighting amongst each other. Right. You know, it has to be about how do we support each other? How do we support that business to keep that business alive right. without infecting everybody? Right. And how it, do we do that? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, my, you know, and what, what I was referring to was there are people that come to us and say, you, you oh, need yeah, to lock yeah. everybody up. They don't have a mask. You yeah. need to lock them up. That's not our country. That's not our nation. You've got to be reasonable. We've got to come up with reasonable solutions. And we can't, you know, I mean, people do have constitutional right. We can't encroach on those things, but we do need to keep people safe. And I can tell you, doctor, trying to be nice and politically correct on this and all everything else, <laughs> but it's not been a smooth transition when we talk about, not necessarily hospitals and doctors, but public health and public safety I mean, sometimes it's been a good working relationship, and sometimes it's not, because there's two different perspectives. Public health has a uh, hey, well, it's, we just need to we need to do it this way. We need to keep everybody safe. I agree, absolutely, but that won't work. I can tell you from being in law enforcement, that won't work. We're going to have conflicts. So right. it's been a real learning curve. 
I think for all of us. Here's the other thing, and I, I want to hear what your opinion is on it, Doctor. Everybody in the household, we didn't go out. We don't go out. We don't hang out at populated places. Even my stepdaughter, who's younger, she's a teacher. We don't think she got it from school. We think she got it from maybe, you know, maybe it was a, we don't know, another relative, who knows. But we weren't out in populated places, you know, going out to eat all the time or hanging out in, you know, these spreader type events, these sports bars and things like that. And we still got it. Right. And the way I look at it's, it, too, is it like, you it's how, how contagious. Right. Yeah. It shows you that, honestly, it doesn't take a heavy, like a large stadium of right. people. It could be a small group of people. You know, right. it only takes one on the wrong setting. That's where I think the challenge is, is that, as you mentioned, Mike, I, I, everybody knows somebody in some way that has been affected by COVID. Right. And it's because of this way, you know, these silent spreading events that have affected people in, in certain ways, be it job-wise, be it physically, be it even emotionally and mentally or socially. Yeah. Right. And like you said um, you know, before, you could be positive and spreading it in the 48 hours before you even have symptoms or be symptomatic. And Chief, like you were saying, we don't know where she got it, but where she did, that one person that she got it from, imagine the people that they had come in contact with prior to having contact with your yeah. stepdaughter. And then because one of my coworkers who found out she was positive, mm-hmm. you know, and everything, she had infected her entire family just the day before because mm-hmm. she had gone out on mm-hmm. a Saturday and had met with people. And mm-hmm. one of those people called and said, hey, by the way, I'm positive. And fortunately, they communicated that. So she was on the lookout for any symptoms or anything. Mm-hmm. She got tested positive the day after she had had a family dinner with six of her family members. Right. The day after she was positive, they started having symptoms. Sure. And they were all, all six of them were positive. Sure. So it's like almost the spider web well, of who's and, where and how many people and it's a they guess, come in contact it's with. It's a guess as to the solutions, I can tell you, right. because like it differs from county to county, you know, and one county wants to do this, another county wants to do that. That's true. And it's like, hey, d- tell you what, we're going to shut the bars down. We're going to shut those down at 11 p.m. and that'll help. It, you know, the 16-year-old to 19-year-old, 20-year-old can't get into the bar anyway, but the younger groups are still going to meet, and it's still going to get spread. It, it's you still going to happen no matter you what. You can't contain everybody. And I think later on, too, we I think we do need to touch on somewhere another podcast or later on, and especially with the doctor. I don't know if she could come back for another <laughs> podcast, but it, maybe we can talk her into it. But the also the psychological effects – of both the isolation oh, and my. the psychological effects of you know, our healthcare workers, they're in an environment where they're seeing people die left and right. Right. I know how that is with certain things, you know, especially being 30 years in law enforcement. Lisa, you know how that is. So when, when we talk about mental illness and psychological effects of COVID, mm-hmm. I think it's vast. I agree. So well, we've I, seen a lot more CIT cases come across, yes. which. Is critical incident, and yeah. we have we've got a lot more mental health based or addiction calls yes. that we're getting now yeah. because of the isolation and because people aren't knowing what to do. Yeah, the the, yeah. the most important part, and I, I I love this because I just absorb it like a sponge. I, <laughs> I love this, and I know that all of you that are listening also love this. But we've got to take a quick break, so we're going to take a quick break here during the digitally dispatched podcast. We will be right back. In today's world, time is everything. When editing podcasts, (laughs) you know as well as I do, time flies. 
But it's not the good kind of time flying. It's the kind of time that eats a hole in your pocket. Reclaim the time you lose when you edit your podcast. Connect with The Editor Core. The Editor Core is a group of seasoned, experienced podcast editors that'll get your editing done and out the door. Use your reclaimed time to make more content. Make your podcast soar with The Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Do you like what you're hearing during the Digitally Dispatched podcast? Let's have a conversation about how you can help us grow. Visit my website at digitallydispatched.com and let's find a way to get your organization, business, or effort to benefit from my focused and engaged audience. Let me help you grow your digital footprint and foster educational content on the internet. Open a channel now at digitallydispatched.com. That's digitallydispatched.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. I'm Manu Patri. I'm an infectious disease doctor and the director of infection prevention at one of the local hospitals in the St. Louis area. And you're listening to another episode of the Digitally Dispatched Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. So the calendar's changed. Now what? This is one of the most important parts of what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Yes, the calendar's changed. Yes, you guys now have four grand stories of perspective. But what are you going to do when it knocks on your door? It is easily the largest discussion I've generated both at my workplace and inside my podcast studios. And it is the question. You are now COVID positive. What are you going to go tell your family? What are you and your family going to do and plan over the course of at least the next 14 days. And if you aren't having these conversations or even thought about doing it, guys, now is the time to do it. There is, there is no question that you need to be asking your family members these questions and understanding more about how your workplace is going to be impacted, how your paychecks might be impacted. Because while many workplaces are taking the time out to make accommodations for what's going on with COVID-19 and the impact that it's having, there are some that aren't and aren't able to do so. And so it's time to start having that discussion. So let's start with the discussion. This is the cutting edge talk of the podcast, Mike. No, I it really think, is. I think that this is where we breach new ground and move forward. You know, to kind of recap it, we have been contact tracing since March. Mm. Public health has done a lot of things. We've tried a lot of things. We've 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 did social distancing. We've we have a, we had a lockdown at first. I mean, we had businesses closed. We had things like that. Uh, we've gone through all the mental health things. We've gone through the infection. And the bottom line is, the numbers are still going up. People are still getting infected. So, when you put this program on, turning the corner and saying, "Hey, there's a chance, and there's probably a good chance." That's that me or somebody in my family might get infected. What do we do? How do we take precautions? What's some of the first steps? 
And I'll start us out, and uh, we can go around, you know, go around the table and around the room. Don't panic. Maybe first thing. Oh, fine. <laughs> no, no? You know, what, everybody disagrees. What's no, an afternoon no, without totally some panic? With <laughs> well, I mean, I well, think we have panic, people like think, Mike who will panic, and I we think, have people like Chief and I who correct. will maintain I, our I, stability. I think <laughs> I'm not saying don't be concerned. Right. I'm just saying don't panic. Correct. So, I, so, I, 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 so I totally agree with that. Why don't we throw it over to the professional, Doctor? What's your advice? I mean, you, you've seen the worst of the worst, the worst case scenarios, and so on and so forth. We know that more people are going to get this. So going into 2021, what's your advice as far as starting out? How do, how do we handle this? I think you hit upon this a little bit. We need, a, I agree, don't panic. Fear, it's okay to be afraid, but you start to make mistakes when you panic. Right. Fear is healthy. Panic could be hurtful. Right. But the second thing is that we do need to be better. We have not been good about socially distancing mm-hmm. and masking. And that's why we see the numbers that we do. Mm-hmm. We actually started to see numbers level off when we did our lockdown. And that was because everybody sort of followed the same rules. Mm-hmm. And as this went on, we lost that uniformity. So one county allowed bars to be open till X while another county shut down everything. So then that county, those people would go to the county where it was open, Mm -hmm. and then they would come back and then infect those people there. So it gives the appearance that masking doesn't work or that social distancing doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, We need need one voice, Mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter what county or city or state that you live in. Mm -hmm. It's the same voice that we have to have. Hand hygiene, socially distancing, and masking do work. Mm-hmm. I can tell you firsthand because I've now gone into the hundreds of seeing COVID patients, mm-hmm. live actively infected COVID patients mm-hmm. who've required intubation, who've required CPR, where I've been in the room, mm-hmm. and I haven't acquired COVID. Right. And it's not because I'm some superhuman, superstar ID doctor. It is really because it comes down to having a respect for the science and a a bit of the understanding of the virus. Right. The other thing is, is that I think we have to take another step back and respect the science. Take away the anger, take away the bitterness, take away all of that and understand we are in a pandemic. This is not the first time in the history of man that we have experienced something like this. Mm -hmm. But what we have demonstrated time and again when we succeed is that we have an understanding of what the science is, and as Mike said, educate, 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 and not demean anybody, not Mm -hmm. put someone down, not think low because they think something that's different. We have to try to come onto the same page, but we have to do it respectfully. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is why maybe sometimes people don't listen because they think that we're being condescending or they think that we're trying to tell them what to do as opposed to being like, we need you to help us fight this. I think when people feel included, then there's power to that. And I think that those are the things that I feel like we need to be able to express more. We can't do this without them. And what will happen is if the numbers continue the way they are, we've had these challenges where we've run out of intensive care unit beds. We've had the challenges where we've had to look as far as Iowa for a bed for a patient Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we ran out of beds. Mm -hmm. That is our reality at this point. So we have got to take a step back and understand that this is part of our reality for now. And the only way to get this better is 
understand the science, respect the science. But, you know, again, not, I agree with you, not to panic, you know, and be humble. Be willing to understand that maybe what you thought was wrong, and that's not a bad thing, but be willing to learn something different. Yeah. Dr. Patry, I have a question for you. I know that, again, because I'm not sure where to go for the truth, so I'm asking you, an actual doctor, that (laughs) after people have the virus and they've gone through it, like like Chief has gone through it, I'm being told that now you're immune to it. Is there an immunity phase or are you immune at all? Or I I don't know how this is, is changing with the strains or if there is even a change at all. I have no idea. I mean... I, I don't want people to be under the false assumption that, well, I already had it, so now I'm immune to it and I can do whatever I want. There may be a component of immunity. Okay. Some of the data says for 90 days. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that what we've observed is that, you know, people who may have a milder case may have a more waning immunity as opposed to people who have a more severe case. Okay. The concern that everybody has is that because of this being a respiratory virus, As we've seen with the flu, right, Mm -hmm. every year we have to get a vaccine. Why do we have to get a vaccine every year? It's because our immunity is transient. And that's where the suspicion is going to be, that we shouldn't take it lightly that, yes, okay, you've had COVID-19. I would still say that you should mask. As you mentioned, Lisa, as this virus becomes more and more rampant, mutations can occur. And what may end up happening is just like how influenza is, there could be different strains that, you know, require a vaccine that has covers more than one strain of the of the virus moving forward. So I don't think it is an immunity path if you've had it. Mm -hmm. I do think that there is a transient component of immunity, but we don't know for how long. And I do think that it depends on the person's immune system and the infectivity, like how severe the the infection was that could play a role in that, which is still why that we still recommend distancing and masking, even if you've had it. And there have been cases of people who had documented COVID-19 that look like they have redeveloped second infection. And the first case appeared to be more milder and the second case was much more significant. Okay. So it's possible that reinfections could occur. Yeah, that's but, what, yeah. That's what totally scares bad. me for, for those who are, are younger and think they know everything that's going yeah. on, that, well, now I'm immune, so I can go out and party and do all the things I always did because I've already had it. And yeah. I try to caution people, but you don't really know what the immunity is, if there even is one. So you still want to be diligent in protecting yourself, let alone everybody else, just in case. And I need to say, too, that, you know, I think that the the distancing, especially the distancing, we we when we look at it up at uh, up at work, and we've had cases, but we haven't had a lot of cases. And most of the case, I don't know if I can trace one back to actually the workplace, which is amazing because of all the contact that we're going out having a contact with the public and so on and so forth. When we're within the actual facility and such, we have everything taped off where we. I think people are keeping their distance. Um, we part. are, for the most part, you know, wearing the masks and trying to, uh, you know, trying to uh, adhere to those safety protocols. And we have had good success mm-hmm. with not having a bunch of cases. You know, an entire outbreak where we lack manpower, we can't even staff. Yeah, we've been lucky <coughs> with isolated and, cases. And I think that um, I think that some of the safety protocols 
are absolutely the key. I mean, some people say, no, it yeah. doesn't work, so it doesn't work. You know, like I said, I come down in the middle. It's not the end of the world. It's not a joke. But I do think some of these safety protocols really have worked, and they do work. I'm also saying that, you know, we got to take a look at, Doctor, when we talked about the, the differences in the county, I think early on, because this really was a concern, there were so many different aspects to, let's shut everything down. I mean, it's not just a public health aspect. It, that's one thing. We need to shut everything down to keep everybody safe. There were concerns like, well, wait a minute. Is my business going to go out of business? You know, it, it, it is, I mean, we even felt it. Everybody felt it. I can tell you law enforcement is a government entity that relies on sales tax and revenues and things like that. And it, so it's a domino down. effect yeah. all the way along. Are we going to shut up all these businesses? Are we going to close off it at what cost or how do we do that? I think that we're in a place now, because when I look at our local businesses and such, I see, and I'm not saying it's ideal, but I've seen, just like people do, I've seen them adapt. Mm-hmm. You know, when I see I see uh, the, the curbside service and the drive-throughs and things like that and a lot more precautions mm-hmm. being taken. But then again, in the beginning, we weren't educated on it. So when we did the initial lockdown, it had a dramatic impact. impact. It had a dramatic, maybe good impact as far as you know, reducing infection, and it had a dramatic negative impact economically and things like that, which is out of my realm of expertise. But that's the thing with this virus. There's so many different aspects that had to be taken in consideration. We never sat around with the bird flu or the swine flu going, oh my gosh, how's that going to affect revenue? Oh my gosh, is my business going to go out of business? Oh my God. You know, we never had that. Yeah. And this is actually the perfect segue into the second piece of what we're talking about here. And it's the location safety protocols, regardless of whether it's your house or your workplace Mm -hmm. or a place that you go and visit, like, I don't know, a podcast studio, (laughs) all of those things are a location that you must eventually plan to have. What, what, Mm -hmm. what is your plan when this, when there's an infection here? Right. Right. And and that it's again, it's that second piece okay. of the conversation. The, the first piece is the discussion of what it is you're going to do. The second is how are you going to split up the location you have mm-hmm. when you go and talk to your wife or significant other or your roommates or whatever? What is the discussion going to go like when you say, OK, uh, I'm positive and I need to be locked off for 14 days? Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Are you dealing with people that just physically can't do that, i.e. perhaps my daughter with autism, right. where you can't just tell her, okay, go in your room, we'll bring you your food, see you in two <laughs> well, weeks. Well, and it's, right. and it's, it's you don't know because you've never done it. It's right. a trial right. and error. It's right. a trial and error. And, and right. doctor, hopefully back me up on this. You know what? It probably wasn't, a, uh, well, I mean, what they, they had to do it, but we shut down the hospitals, you know, all elected surgeries. Right. I can tell you, talking to hospitals, financially, that was bad. I mean, it, yeah. it, a hospital needs money to keep the doors open. Right. We certainly don't want hospitals closing in the middle of a pandemic. All right. And doctor, jump in. I could be totally, you could tell me I'm totally wrong. We were laying off healthcare workers. The thing that scared me the most through this whole thing was the hospitals getting overwhelmed and us not having enough doctors and nurses and staff to take care of people and the balance. When I saw you know, that there were hospitals that having to lay workers off and things like that. That scared me. I thought, this is really going to go bad. What was your perspective? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, and because of the fact that we didn't know what we were dealing with. Right. And we exactly. didn't know the severity of it. Same um, with us. Shutting down the, quote-unquote, the less, the low-hanging fruit. Right. To try to make sure that we could put the focus in the right place. Right. 
And as you mentioned, you know, because you get the rebound effect. And this is right. where, like I told you, sort of the frustration I have, where if we can socially support and financially support mm-hmm. our people in these times of financial disarray, right? it allows like public health, et cetera, to be able to do their job without the sacrifice of, you know, the common man, you know, right. like not losing their job. Right. And what we... What we saw, like this has been seen nationally, was, you know, surgical services started back up again. Mm -hmm. And we actually saw cases of patients in the hospital acquiring it. Right. And we found out, like, many times it came from the patient's family themselves. Right. So you would go in and get bypass surgery and then develop COVID in the hospital. Right. In addition to the overwhelming number of sheer volume of COVID cases. Yep have forced us to, again, put some of these elective surgeries to the side. Old, right. Um, because for space, you know, we're at a shortage of staff and our capability, but it was also safety, safety right. for the patients. Right. right. That has been really, really horrible. And so yeah. I completely get it, why there has to be a balancing act with it. Yep. And, you know, it kind of comes down to what we were talking about. There was a lot of pushback about discussing mandatory masking in some of the counties. Our perspective from medical community was, we're not asking the cops to put a gun to someone's head if right. they don't <laughs> right. do the mask. Oh, and what we, we were saying is, yeah, you know, we but what we're saying is though, like when you have a mandate, majority will listen. It's the same thing as it, saying, if I told you the law is you wear a seatbelt, you're gonna wear a seatbelt. Yeah. Majority, some will not. But those mandated areas, when yeah. you start to see that, you saw numbers go down just well, by masking. Well, the right? most, I, I think the most effective thing I saw, because I, I can tell you, and this is, I'll give you an example. From law enforcement standpoint, and I, and I say this, I'm in a, I'm in a town with 17,000 people and I have 32 police officers. If 17,000 people want to do something, 32 police officers are not going to stop them. They're not going to stop them. We had an issue on fireworks. Simple problem, but everybody wanted to shoot fireworks. We we did a survey. It was like 69% of the population wanted to shoot fireworks, or 70% close to didn't care they wanted to shoot fireworks. We couldn't stop them. We changed the ordinance. We had to change the ordinance. We allow it for like two days because we couldn't stop them. Now we have two days of it instead of two weeks. Um, It's so much nicer. Because we, we, we couldn't stop them because if that the majority wants to do something they're going to you know, do 32 police officers aren't going to stop them that's kind of the perspective from enforcement standpoint it's kind of the discussion we had with public health but would you say that since march we are a lot better off you guys have a lot better handle on hey we got to cut back on these elective surgeries but i mean you had to go through it we had we did too we had to go through that learning curve and i'm not saying everything was done right but we had to go through it because this was just unprecedented we didn't know. We've never done it I, I'm assuming the hospital, same way the hospitals didn't know. What do we do? Do we cut all elective surgeries off? Do we cut some off? Do we? How do we scale that back? I would assume Dr. Tellus probably got a better grip on it, on how to handle certain things now than you did back in March. Is it progressing? Is it getting better? Or is there anything that we should change? I would probably say that certainly there are some things that we may have a better understanding of. But mm-hmm. I would actually say worse for me Mm -hmm. and i started since march like since march Mm -hmm. you know 200 300 hour months Mm -hmm. of just covid 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 Mm. this is worse in the perspective of what we're seeing because we're running out of bed we've got a lot more conflict when 
at this point, I would have hoped people would have been a lot more understanding of what this virus could be capable of. Mm-hmm. A lot of burnout, a lot of depression. Yep. I think we're actually worse in that way. And mm-hmm. my worry is, is that as the holidays occur, that our numbers are going to continue to get worse where, mm-hmm. yeah. again, like every day we're doing these checks. And, you know, the point, like I think Lisa mentioned, it's not just, you know, recovering from COVID. It's also the after COVID effect. We have more patients at one of our hospitals that are history of COVID, meaning they've recovered after the 10 days. They're not infectious, but they're still suffering from complications. Oh, I can, we have more of them I can attest to that. Yeah. yeah, it does not. It does not end. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, ten days you're, you're off quarantine. Yeah, you're. But yeah, you, you're just the, infectious. The fatigue but, will yeah. linger. You know, for a month, I yeah. couldn't smell. Uh, I I didn't lose complete taste, but I could not smell for four or five weeks. Oh wow! And it it gradually came back, but the fatigue. You know, I mean, there's 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 other there's other things that just linger. Yeah, you know, you heard about the 21 year old basketball player who just collapsed, you know, when he was going for a slam dunk. The suspicion is, is that he's got a post covid cardiac event. So our young people are not without risk. You know, our athletes were asking these children to go out onto the field and play, and we don't know what the potential side effects of, of this is. Yeah, that's, that, um, and that, so we, we have, we call them long callers, L-O-N-G right, callers, A-U-L-E-R-S. Right. And basically what it is is it's, we have people who are on ventilators for weeks. We have people yeah. requiring high-flow mm-hmm. oxygen for weeks. I have patients who have been in the hospital since Thanksgiving on, you know, requiring high amounts of oxygen because they cannot get past that in mm-hmm. I have a quick question for you in reference sure. to the hospital. Is there are so many people who think that they can combat it at home because it's not that big of a deal, and mm-hmm. they're not. I another friend of mine, his mom was trying to take care of it at home, and she ended up dying at home because mm-hmm. of COVID. Sorry. But mm-hmm. my question: if I test positive and I'm having the symptoms. Where is that line that I should say, okay, maybe that's I need to go question. to the hospital now? That, that's exactly what I think we wanted to get into this podcast. What yeah. what do we do to prepare? And, doctor, we talked about that, too. You, you said yeah, when you get to a certain point, you've got to go to the hospital. And I think people do try to wait it out. Yeah. We've, and, uh, yeah. Even at, up at work, we've I'm got, very got, stubborn, uh, we've got uh, one of those oxygen meters mm. where – you're down around 92. You got to go to the hospital. You can, you know, whatever. But doctor, what is the threshold? What are some What are some guidelines that people can use um, to where they know, hey, it's time to stop messing around. You got to go. Yeah, this is where it gets tricky. But yep. you know, I think back in April or May, we actually had a conversation yep. with um, a doc in Milan, mm-hmm. in Italy, mm-hmm. and I think Chris, you and I spoke about this, but yep. what, it was very helpful because not everybody has the ability to have a pulse oximeter. There have to be some markers that, you know, like the everyday person can be able to use. Right. And the things that what we've observed are the following, like persistent fevers where, you know, you're getting to this point of just pure fatigue, 102, 103 that are unrelenting mm-hmm. with symptoms of just not not progressing. Your you're inability to eat, just progressive fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The second thing is, is that, the marker, and this was very helpful because this is what they were doing in Italy, and I think that this is true. The inability to do your basic functions. Mm-hmm. For instance, if you go from your bedroom to your bathroom, mm-hmm. okay, you know 
that is point A to point B, you know that what kind of effort that relates. Mm-hmm. But if you are starting to get fatigued doing your basic functions, going to the kitchen from your bedroom and having the shortness of breath, those are things that should raise the concern that clearly something is off. You know, it's beyond fatigue, right? It's right. actually you're air hungry. Right. Okay. So there's there's a phrase called happy hypoxia. Hypoxia means low oxygen levels. Mm-hmm. But what is really weird with this virus is that people can have low oxygen levels and not even feel it. Right. So like under, I had a patient, so normal normal oxygen saturations on a pulse oximeter should be about 92 to 100%, mm-hmm. right? This guy was at 60% and wow. sitting and actually eating wow. and not even realizing that he was at such a low oxygen level. Hmm. And he later crashed, mm-hmm. but he didn't even realize that his oxygen uh, levels were that low. And these have been reported. Right. So not feel it. Like your body tries to compensate in different ways for this illness. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that if you're like, you know what, I, I cannot get to the bathroom. Right. That, there's a problem. You right. know, mm-hmm. like you should be able to do point A to point B. You know, you may feel tired, but if you're right. having those struggles, there's something different, Right. Because what we all do, we've all, how many times have we all been sick? Like a billion. Yep, right. You know, you you, um, you suck it up a lot of the times. You keep moving and doing yep. stuff. What we're realizing is is that you need to be a little more cognizant of your daily activities. Yep. If you cannot go up the stairs to your bedroom, there's something wrong. Yep. You need to be evaluated. And okay. it, I think it's different with this, too. I, I, I can tell you, the, I, I, I got outside. It was, I don't know, day four or five. I thought, well, I'm going to walk. I got down to maybe the end of the street, and then I it, it hit me how exhausted I was. I was just completely exhausted. And mm-hmm. if I have to, you know, the other people that have had it that I've talked to, our other people that have had it that I've talked to, that's the one thing that they mentioned, the, the sheer exhaustion. Exhaustion. Yeah, yep, I've heard just the same wear, thing. just wears you out. And, mm-hmm. you know, as it continues to wear you down, I think people are like, ah, oh, it's, just, it's, just, it's just the virus. It's just how it is. But... Trying to get to a benchmark, mm-hmm. this is when I got to go to the hospital. I think is going to be really beneficial to people. Yeah, so. I've, I've, I uh, we, we've talked about him in the preamble to this episode, but Dr. Mark Halstead actually has a series of episodes in his podcast, both over at Healthy Young Athlete Podcast mm-hmm. and the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast dot com shows. Mm-hmm. On both of those programs, he's also talked about how heart arrhythmias have been impacted by COVID inside of younger athletes mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll have links to those shows inside of the show notes for this episode but there uh, i would tell everybody that has a, a child of probably any age up to 25 mm-hmm. that is in especially uh, very aggressive or competitive sports mm-hmm. you really do need to listen to those episodes because they are incredibly educational they'll give you some of the foundation stuff it's very much like what the doctor's talking about here where that, that even even for the highest of younger athlete levels there are normalcies that they should be used to be able to doing and anytime that that goes sideways especially when you are working with what is essentially a a racehorse uh, especially as a younger racehorse something is terribly wrong and rather than just thinking you're going to tough it out as the doctor has stated rather than just you know i've been sicker before i'm i'm going to be just fine you really do need to stop and think about what's going on and really, that's what we're doing here tonight yeah. is we're, we're encouraging Absolutely. everybody 
to think about what's going on. We actually have broached into the timeline part of the doctor's already talked about the timeline. So we're, we're scooting well towards the end of this particular <laughs> episode. And really it comes down to don't wait. Right. If oh. there is something that you recognize as being not normal, it's time to tell somebody something about it. There, there's never been a more important time to connect with your doctor regularly. <laughs> right. About talking with well, friends about what's going on inside of right. your life so that somebody knows something and of what's going on. fortunate thing, too, with talking to your doctor, you, you can do it over the, uh, you know, the websites or yeah. through Zoom uh, or yeah. uh, however they're set up, the telehealth. Yeah. Well, and well, it's so fortunate that we have that available mm-hmm. and every home has a computer nowadays. And so you have that option, which is nice because mm-hmm. we never had to use telehealth before, yeah. but now to just go and say, okay, these are the symptoms I'm having. This is how I feel. My temperature's not been high, but, and fill in the blank, this is how I feel. And they can kind of assess you to, uh, as to whether or not you need to go and be tested or go to the hospital or wherever you need to go. So right. it's nice that we have that as an option so that we don't have to go out in the public and put ourselves at risk. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Unless uh, we have to. Yeah. D- Dr. Well, Manu, how has telehealth helped you as a professional? It has helped. I think, especially for our older population, they're not feeling, I guess, I don't want to say neglected, but they're not feeling alone because people don't feel like, even though they don't have the face-to-face contact that they typically would have, they don't, they're not feeling alone. They're not feeling neglected. It's not perfect, but I definitely think it's better. And especially um, when we're talking about people who be able to actually contact their primary and say, look, something's off, I'm not right. We're trying from an outpatient perspective, and Chris and I have spoken about this, mm-hmm. you know, trying to come up with other ideas to support people in the outpatient setting, yep. you know, be it like having a log of what their symptoms are or, you know, how can we get a pulse oximeter to them, yep. things of that sort. But to be able to do a check-in, I think, has been really helpful. Yep. And I was going to make a comment. This is a total nerd comment, but, but it kind of applies a little bit of what we were talking about, like, as you mentioned, with younger children. But, you know, this virus is actually horrible on many levels. But it attaches to receptors in the brain, mm-hmm. on the heart, on the lung, and in the gut, Mm-hmm. And so you can have all kinds of weird symptoms associated with it, mm-hmm. which is why, like, the heart stuff that we're seeing with children and things of that sort. But it also has this extra effect, like, it causes clots. And in autopsies mm-hmm. of people who have had COVID, you will actually see clots in the vessels of the hearts and the lungs. Mm-hmm. And these are people who may not have even had symptoms, and we right. find out later down the road, or they suddenly die. Right. So... You know, there's a lot of after effect that we don't know about yet with this virus, which is why I think we need to stay on top of it and be humble, yep. you know, by, by what the effects could be. So, Doctor, when you when you talk about clots, too, because I know that's interesting. I, in my family members, they, they, they did uh, take my stepdaughter in and did, did x-rays, and I know that they, and that's specifically what they were looking for. You know, they wanted to make sure there was no blood clots, a big concern. So it, w- with people who contract it, is there anything that they can do, um, exercise, walking, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing. Is there anything that they can do that would help alleviate that condition or alleviate clots? Is there? Have you guys seen anything or suggest so anything? So weirdly, we've had people who've been on blood thinners for mm-hmm. clots, get mm-hmm. clots. We've had people that 
are ambulatory and walking about mm-hmm. group of people who get caught. Mm-hmm. I think the problem comes down to is that the how this virus works and how it works in the system mm-hmm. that it, it causes this spotting phenomenon to occur mm-hmm. that irrespective I do think if you're able to to try to walk and things of that sort certainly helps. Mm-hmm. But we've seen people who've walked in, you know, young people, mm-hmm. set up with clots in their lungs. And so a young, healthy individual who has a component of asthma, but, you know, she certainly could have had a clot. I think that it's still good to be able to walk and things of that sort, but that, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to prevent it. Right. That's where the scary part of this is. Because uh, I know one of the things they did, they did x-rays trying to locate the clots. I mean, is there any symptoms to that or at any point in time, check with your doctor or go into an urgent care or whatever and request uh, I, x-rays I or no? Yeah, like I, we don't do CAT scans to look for clots for everyone because, I mean, it's always a risk and a benefit. The right. majority of people won't have really down to the person, okay. you know, if they've got... A t- unusual chest pain, for instance, gotcha. or horrific shortness of breath. You know, there could be more to it. It most of the time, it's it's more related to severe COVID. Right. So you'll see a ton of inflammation in the lungs. You know, it has nothing to do with the clot stuff. But like I told you, like those autopsies that they did, mm-hmm. these were people that didn't have evidence of clots that they saw on a CAT scan. It was only after autopsy that they saw, holy cow, these guys had clots in their heart vessels, they had clots hmm. in their lung vessels, mm-hmm. and that was very scary, yeah. you know, to realize that, you know, you could get these little, small little clots, and that is also why you may hear about people after after having COVID memory issues, right. or we've had lots of people who have had strokes associated with COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, like I told you, we had a nurse practitioner, young, 50, mm-hmm. she had a stroke, and it was related to COVID. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and and I, and I know that's the thing. You just don't know how it's going to react with who. And that's why I say, I'm trying to, like I said, I try to take a middle of the road approach. It's not a joke. I mean, I know people younger than me. I I mean, I don't know personally, I know of cases younger than me where people have died and went downhill very quickly. And, and there was no, you know, a lot of times people will look for, well, they've got an underlying condition. Well, some of these people don't, they, or we don't know about it, but I mean, it's frightening, but like I said, we want to be cautionary. We want to, have to take precautions and such, but we don't want people to panic because if we panic, then we don't think rationally. We can't come together and unify for the solution. Okay, my final thoughts. First, I'd like to thank everybody for being here. It was a great discussion. And one of the things that, that Mike had brought up in the past and then again tonight was I want everybody to think about what is your plan. He had asked me if you test positive, what are you going to tell your roommates and what are you going to do? How are you going to quarantine? And I, I have thought about that since the very first time he had asked me that question to try and figure out what my plan will be once I test positive, if I test positive. And I want everybody in my audience to think real seriously, what is your plan? What will you do once you test positive, we already know not to panic, but we have to tell our, our family members, the people that we live with, and how are you going to quarantine yourself away from them so that they don't become positive as well. It's just something food for thought, if you will. And I think this has been a great kickoff episode to even more to come. Yeah, without question. I, th- I think the, the piece that I take in the final round here is 
I love that we're having this conversation and that we're going to generate a bunch of other people having the same style of conversation. Because, again, it's about becoming familiar with that that embarrasses or is unknown to us. And as soon as the veil comes off of all that, believe it or not, there's understanding. And understanding is how we're going to get through all of this. Chris? Yeah, I I guess final thoughts for me are I like to be proactive. Get in front of it. Educate yourself. Get out and talk about it, just like we're doing now. I think that every situation works out better when you do that. And I think that's kind of the theme here. And... um, you know me, Mike. I don't force this on anybody, but you know where I stand. I'm a faith-based guy, so lots of prayers always help. That's how I get through pretty much everything. But I do have one last question to throw over to the doctor and then get her final thoughts. Is there anything that we can do, doctor, to help the hospitals, to help our healthcare professionals, and to get through this in 2021? Oh, gosh. I think public support has been amazing. Anything that we can do for our, you know, nursing, for our environmental staff, for the food services, people who are working day in and day out, um, you know, anything that we can do for them, I would advocate 100%. I think that the emotional toll that it's taken on many people is, is really, really hard. And to think that this could be at least another six months is really, really difficult for staff to hear. Right. I think that if they can feel that they're supported, and even whatever anybody can think of, even stuff nurses have given up childcare time, they've given up environmental staff, people have worked extra shifts to help mm-hmm. the hospital. Those are the things that if we can provide something for them, I mm-hmm. think that would be amazing. I can speak for for us and and law enforcement. We are certainly behind you. We uh, support you whatever way we can and just keep us posted on how else we can help. I really appreciate it. And I guess my final thought would be that it's been a very contentious year. I think Mm -hmm. what we need to learn is that we need to put the hurt feelings aside. This isn't personal. This is about all of us moving forward we all have the same objectives we want our children back in school we want to be able to go out and about and see our friends we don't want any more deaths these are deaths that could be preventable that's the way we need to think about it how can we prevent any further injury and we need to again understand we are in it together there's no way i could do my job without you guys there's no way if you can avoid seeing the infectious disease factor, that's a win. <laughs> that's what I always tell my patients. They don't want to see me after follow-up. That's a win. And I hope if moving forward, if after some of this bitterness and anger is pushed inside, we can realize that we're all, we're all human right. and we all have someone we don't want to lose. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. Some spectacular perspectives here, as always, and I love being at the center of it, collecting it. I want to thank everybody that's listening to the Digitally Dispatch podcast for this first of what I hope is a whole bunch of COVID-19-inspired episodes that educates, brings perspective, but more importantly, gives you a piece of the plan when it comes to COVID-19. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, the TV movie pop culture guy. I'm Christy Giuseppe, guest host from WhatCopsWatch.com. Appreciate being here. And I'm Lisa Moore, your host from DigitallyDispatch.com. Thanks for joining us. And a special thanks to Dr. Manu Patri, infectious disease doctor at one of our local hospitals. Doctor, it's been a pleasure. 
You are a, a professional and an expert on behalf of law enforcement. We have your back. Thank you for being here, and we'll do it again. Thank you so much. It was an honor. Mm-hmm. I really had a good time. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, thanks for joining us today for this new type of episode in COVID-related discussions. See you next time. The calls, stories, and legacies I share are dispatched digitally. The lessons learned by all, the callers, you, especially me, are a piece of my life's unfolding story that I'm proud to share and are preserved digitally. Your thoughts, ideas, and comments can be sent to me electronically at my website, digitallydispatched.com. I am a 911 dispatcher. My name is Lisa, and you have been digitally dispatched.